No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I am very pleased to uh, introduce today's podcast with a legend in the da'wah. We have an imam with us uh, who's been giving da'wah in North America and the world for decades. And uh, he has not only served as a longstanding imam, but he's uh, been an activist, he's been a community supporter, he's been a teacher, he's uh, appeared on many media outlets, and I am very, very pleased to bring and welcome onto the program Imam Saraj Wahaj. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Imam. How are you? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. I'm doing very well. I'm to say it. I have to. I have to confess something. Yes. To be honest with you, I expected to see a real old man with white beard. Honestly, <laughs> I, that's the image. That's the image I had of you. And I'm shocked when I looked at yeah. you, you're a young guy, yeah. man. Yeah. I, I may look young, Imam, but, uh, you know, the first time I saw you, I was a kid and it was over 30 years ago. Allah so so uh, don't don't let the black beard <laughs> fool you because, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, I have three kids. Uh, Allah you know, Allah. I have I have two degrees working on my third degree so I, I, I'm, I'm an older I, I'm an older guy that uh, looks young so I know <laughs> a lot of my references are very dated people have no idea what I'm talking about sometimes Allah because they're Allah so Allah. dated so May Allah bless you Sheikh I'm, I'm very honored to be here with you today inshallah Yes, and and it's a, a, a it's a definitely an honor for us and so many people were very very excited when I was able to reveal to them that you're going to be on the program today. And uh, I really wanted you on the program uh, for a little while because I believe you will have some tremendous insight that we need to hear. We need to hear because I don't think uh, these voices, I don't think that uh, this uh, sometimes experience uh, is being shared and communicated with the masses, especially our community, especially the Muslim community. So we Dr. find Say, ourselves. I want to. I want. Let me say this. I know. I don't want to interrupt you, but yes, I, I, I think what you said was so critical. Uh, one of the companions of the Prophet peace and blessing be upon him, Muawiyah, uh, um, uh, he said, "La hakima illa tajiba. There's no real wisdom without experience, and it is one thing to." To, to know the Quran and Sunnah, and that's that's critical. But mm. also, there's another thing: is life experiences, and you yeah. can't be on this planet uh, a half a uh, you know half a century and not get something. So, mm. alhamdulillah, inshallah, we will hopefully bring some some of our experiences uh, during this program. Inshallah. And uh, actually, on that note, I want to start off with referencing history because. Uh, it was just Mark Juneteenth, right? So uh, June 19th, uh, 1865, where slavery was abolished uh, in the rest of the United States. So two years prior, uh, you had the abolishment of uh, slavery, but then it took two years for the rest of the uh, country to catch up. But then uh, after slavery, you had things like black codes, you had Jim Crow, you had uh, now a huge migration 
of a young, vibrant uh, black population, African-American population. Now, there's a migration of them into um, mass incarceration, right? And which they would say now is a form of modern day uh, slavery. And if you look at the statistics of the amount of uh, people that are in prisons, United States is at the apex of their population uh, being incarcerated, mass, uh, you know, portions of their population being incarcerated. Now, we find ourselves, uh, you know, in a pandemic, a worldwide event that it doesn't matter if you're white, black, brown, yellow, it's affecting everybody. And then, subhanAllah, out of this, uh, you know, backdrop, you have these protests sparked by the death of George Floyd. Now, being somebody uh, who is well acquainted with uh, the civil rights movement, uh, who, uh, you know, as well has struggled both for uh, the black community and for the Muslim community, uh, especially in New York. What is your take on these protests? Do you think that there are there is anything different given the historical context and your experience in this matter, do you think there's anything different with these protests? You know, really, uh, Dr. Faye, that's really a great, a great question. I think if you ask the average person, especially those involved in the civil rights movement, um, I know many of them, most of them will say that this feels a little bit different. Mm. It's, it's different, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you why. And really, Allah knows, Allah knows best. Um, but I'm going to give some perspective because you said a lot of things in your introduction. I want to just add a little bit more to it. Honestly, I don't think people realize really the condition of black people. I, I, I think they have no idea. I think people are learning. They read about it. You know, you know, they study some history. But I don't think they really know. And there's two things that people have to know. Number one, current events. I read newspapers all the time. I read magazines. I want to know what's going on. Um, but current events is not enough. Current mm. events tell you what's happening. History tells you why it happened. How mm. did it get like that? And let me just give you one example. Uh, you mentioned a number of things. I'm going to talk about the prison. Remind me a little bit later. I'm going to talk about the prison population. Um, um, I do research. I'm a researcher. And believe it or not, you give me a choice to do research or give a speech, I'd rather do research. Mm. I only do talking because people like you make me talk. But I'd rather be in the background and doing some research. Let me give you an example. Um, every country talks about life expectancy, right? So uh, we study, if you go on any um, um, almanac, and you see the life expectancy of the people of Canada, people of the United States, right? So the life expectancy of the average American is 78.6 years. And that would place the United States 45th on the list of the countries with the, the highest life expectancy. But that's a misleading fact. That's mm. misleading. If you ask the question, what's the average life expectancy of the average black man in America is not 78.6 years, it's 71.5 years. Mm. And if that was taken um, compared, compared to the nations of the world, it wouldn't be 45th, it would be 111th. Mm. So everything you, you talk about you know, there's a major difference. Let me give you uh, another example. Black people represent 12% of the population of America, about 40 million black people. 
yet they represent 33% of the prison population, right? White people represent 64% of the population, 30% of the prison population, and Hispanics, 16% of the population and 23% of the prison population. So let me take a moment and, and talk something about the prison population. The United States, America, is the third most populated nation in the world. Number one is China, about 1,400,000,000 people. Then India, number two, maybe 1,300,000,000 people. Number three, the United States, our mm. population, a little more, more than, um, um, a, a little more than three, 300 million people, 330 million people, something like that. Mm. So we represent, when I say we, I mean United States, we represent about 5% of the total population of the world. So United States is about 5% of the total population in the world, but yet we represent 25% of the total prison population in the world. So you see, that's a big problem. We have 500,000 more prisoners than China, yet China have more than a billion people more than us. If you took all the, those in prison in the United States, and if they were uh, a state, they will be the 17th most populated state in America. So the question is, yeah, I get it. Black people, yeah, they're in prison, especially black men, but how did it get that way? And I'll put it this way, and, and we can continue to speak. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way. He said, he who gets behind in a race must forever remain behind or run faster than the man up front. Black people have been behind in everything that you can imagine. It's like a race. Have you ever, have you ever done, run? Have you ever ran? Have you ever raced? Yes. Okay, let's take- Not so well now. <laughs> Let's take a, a, a thousand, you know, let's take a hundred meters. Yes. Right. And, you know, black people start at, you know, the, the beginning of the race. Mm. But white people, they don't start at the beginning. They started maybe the 50 meter. Mm. So they got this head start. They got head start in economics. They got head start in, in health. They got health uh, first. They got, a, they got a head start in every imaginable thing that you can think of. So it is as, as, as worse than we can consider. So the question remains for the Muslims, this Black Lives Matter, how important is it? It's significant, um, but in the end, you're going to see where I place it in terms of what Muslims should do. The easy, the easy thing to say, yes, Muslims ought to be involved. Um, why? Why? Because the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, said, Whoever sees an evil, let him change it with his hand. And if you can't change it with his hand, change it with his tongue. Mm. And if you can't change it with your tongue, I get it. Sometimes things are difficult. Then change it with your heart. And this is the weakest of faith. At least make, make dua. So the question is, what should the Muslims do? Should we get involved? And I'm going to talk more about that later, to what degree we should get involved. So my question, my answer is yes. Yes, because black lives do matter. And, and I want to say this to you, your audience, I think is very important. When a black person say, you know, black lives matter, 
And if your response is all lives matter, you're not incorrect, but it's, it's an insult. Because mm. if all lives matter, black people wouldn't have to say all lives matter. So what black people are saying, it's a summary of what they really want to say. What they really want to say is black lives matter also. Mm. Black lives also matter. So when people yes. say blue, blue lives matter, of course, white lives matter, of course. That, we're, not, we're not arguing that point, but the problem has been with, with black lives. So Muslims should be involved. Why? Because, yes. because we have a mandate to establish justice. And one more thing, because I know you want to you add some more, but one more thing, uh, I want to say that Harvard Law School is one of the most prestigious universities in the world. And at the entrance of the uh, faculty library is a verse from the Quran. And they say it's one of the, um, one of the most um, important verses of justice in the history of the world one of the most important expressions of justice. All you who believe stand out firmly for justice as witnesses for Allah, even against yourself or against your parents or your near relatives against the rich or the poor. So Muslims have a mandate to establish justice. But Muslims can't do that unless they know the issues. So what I'm pushing for your audience is that we have to, we have to learn, we have to study um, black people and other people around the world. Mm. To yes. Get, to get to understand what's going on. Yes. Uh, you know, um, Imam, I think when people say uh, all lives matter with a certain intention, I think it's just almost like a linguistic straw man argument to get people to think about to detract from the issue that you're trying to bring to light. You know, you're just using like this linguistic excuse. OK, oh, no, no, we should be saying all lives matter. But isn't that true? All lives matter. So I think. There is a certain intention. There's a certain nia behind that type of argument, right? And I, I, I agree with you. Certain Muslims, they unfortunately fall into that because they should, oh, yes, you know, Islamically, all lives matter. But I don't think that's the intent uh, as well from black people. That's not their intent to say, oh, we're saying that it's in uh, black lives matter to the exclusion of all other peoples, right? right. I, I don't think I, I think that's just this linguistic straw man argument that's used. However, saying that the Black Lives Matter movement, there is legitimate criticism by both Muslims and non-Muslims of that particular movement, right? Because that's a particular movement that has uh, corporate backing, it has certain political backing, and when you have this type of backing, that also comes with a certain amount of control. And so I believe that's where there is uh, some type of legitimate criticism. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, um, recently I was with a good friend of mine, Ibrahim Rasul. He's a former um, uh, South African ambassador to the United States. Um, I met him when he was here and he's given Juma Khutbah at my masjid. Very brilliant brother. And he gave me some really good perspective. And I think that we ought to study the model of those in South Africa. Um, everybody talks about Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela in prison for 27 years fighting against apartheid. He comes out and he becomes the president of South Africa. But there were other people. And in that struggle against um, apartheid, Muslims fought in that struggle. Ibrahim Rasul himself was in prison for 20 years. The lawyer for Nelson Mandela, Muslim. So Ibrahim Rasul told me something very good. He gave me some good perspective. He said, we have to look at our condition and 
sometimes there are people who have issues and people may get together based on those issues, a short-term partnership, if you would. So when you deal with those issues, you're not asking about either. You're not asking about your, your, your ideology necessarily, but you got an issue. And then he said, number two is objectives, right? So you may have some kind of relationship based upon what's your objective, right? We have an issue. Black men, especially, are brutalized by white police. That's a real issue. Let's get together and let's see what we can do. Objectives. What are we going to do about it? Right now, they'll talk about police reform. So we can get together and have some kind of gathering and understanding of what we're going to do together, you know, to, to achieve this objective. You don't have to have the same ideology. He said the last one is values. Well, you get together based on some values. And these are the people that, okay, we're Muslims, you know, we have a certain kind of ideology, and therefore we're going to get together, we're going to have this coalition uh, to try to achieve uh, these goals. So um, Black Lives Matter, yeah, there's some issues. LGBT, for instance, there's some, there's some issues, there's some real issues, and Muslims are nervous. Muslims mm -hmm. are nervous. Am I, am I permitted to, to get involved with this? That's, you know, 25 years ago, you were, you were a young man. 25 years ago, there was a, a big debate among Muslims in the West, mm -hmm. especially in the United States and Canada. Is it permissible to vote? Mm -hmm. 25 years ago, Muslims were asking, is it even permissible to vote? Mm -hmm. Now, hardly any Muslims are asking that question. You have to understand where are you? America and Canada, not a Muslim country. And there are some blessings in living in the country that we live in. One of them is freedom, a protest, for instance, right? Yes. Some Muslim countries, you can't do that. Some other countries, you can't do that. So the question is, can we ever work together? Look at South Africa. Interesting, if you study South Africa, uh, when Nelson Mandela became president, 17 Muslims were members of parliament, became members of parliament. There were Muslims in his cabinet. Mm. So, 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 so you have here Muslims who were fighting against some wrongdoing, mm. even though they didn't agree, all the people who fought against it didn't agree. Let me give you more examples. I don't know if you ever heard of the Congressional Black Caucus. Yes. The Congressional Black Caucus are those legislators in the United States who work together for their constituency. And the model of the Congressional Black Caucus is black people have neither permanent friends nor permanent enemies, just permanent interests. Mm. So it takes a sophisticated person. Number one, if you're Muslim, right? So Allah says, well, these are the boundaries of Allah. Don't, don't approach them. Don't mm. pass them. So you as a Muslim say, okay, these are, these are my boundaries. Uh, I'm not supporting this. I'm working toward that. Mm. And that's my answer. That's, that's my general answer. And, and so, and I think that, you know, one thing I, I love about Islam, and I think most people don't realize that there's a lot of room for debate on issues, mm. right? Yes. So if you see a Muslim, a public figure, right? Why is that Imam 
talking to that person. Mm. Doesn't he know that person is a Kafir? Mm. Don't they know that that person has some ideologies that are crazy? Yeah, that's mm. that's probably true. But what what is my objective? What are the issues that we're dealing with? And I think we should cut cut each other some slack. Mm. Uh, so, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, for example, okay, there are, uh, you know, people are speaking out against uh, certain injustices. So, for example, you have a lot of celebrity activists. So you have people like um, Colin Kaepernick, even LeBron James. But uh, these activists, they seem to have a lot of corporate support. Like, for example, Colin Kaepernick had, like, you know, a whole campaign with Nike, right? Don't, but then if hold, we, it, don't hold it against them. No, no, no. But okay. what I, uh, Mike, uh, this, is, this is my question, is that if you look at in the past, you know, we had, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, people like even uh, from the basketball world, he had, you know, uh, people like Craig Hodges. Like, I don't know if you remember early 90s, he wore the, the kufi and the yeah, thobe yeah. and he was at the White House and he gave that letter to George Bush. So uh, you have people like that. You had Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Uh, they were obviously uh, pretty much rejected, you know, like they didn't have that type of pop cultural type of support you know even muhammad ali was ostracized to a great degree until later on in his life you know where he was more accepted especially in the after the olympics where he you know took the flame and things like that so what is the difference like why are, are these people so uh accepted is there a difference in what perhaps uh these uh these uh figures that we have from history stood for and what uh, we have some of the newer uh, celebrity activists. Do you, do you see any it difference? May be, yeah. It may be. Uh, yes. First of all, I'm not going to try to read into the hearts of people. What, what their intention No, no, regardless I, of their intention, I'm I saying why are they accepted? So okay. let's say they're all their intentions are pure. Let's say they have pure intentions. Why are these, uh, you know, current, uh, you know, people are more willing to be accepted pop cultural wise, right, by say, corporate power structures rather than you know some of the people that we had in in our history let's take a look at the history right 55 years ago something very major happened in selma montgomery uh, selma alabama right this is the famous uh march from selma to montgomery and that uh, march 7th was on a sunday and 600 african americans were going to march from selma to Montgomery to bring light into the inadequacies of, um, of, of, of voting, right? Black people technically had the right to vote, but they were suppressed. I'll give an example. Um, can you use some money right now? Can you use some money? Can you? Yeah. Sure, sure. I'd like, to give you, I'd like to give you $1,000 right now. I'll give you $1,000 right now if you can answer this question. Black people were permitted to vote in 1965, but they had to take a literacy test, right? And if they pass the test, they can vote. White people didn't have to take a literacy test. I'm going to give you one of the tests, one of the questions on the test. If you answer right now, wallahi, I'll send you $1,000, $1,000 US dollars. You in Canada, right? 
Yeah, that's like five thousand Canadian dollars. <laughs> Not quite, but I guess you want right. <laughs> okay, this is the this is the question. How many bubbles in a bar of soap? Oh boy, that's gonna be uh, seven hundred and sixty-eight. Very good, excellent. How did you get that number? <laughs> so the so the <laughs> so the truth so the truth of the matter is you'll never get it right. Yeah, you'll never. That's, you'll never yeah. get it right. You're set. You're set up for failure. You're set up for failure. So the second question, a typical question, was, "I recite the Constitution of the United States by heart, mm. right?" So therefore, black people weren't able to vote really. So what they did, they want to have this march, a protest, similar yes. to today. Mm. So what happened? Those 600 uh, people, black people, went to march. And they were beaten up by the police. I mean, beaten up. Some people lost their lives. Many people hospitalized. A, a very peaceful protest. But one thing happened that they didn't realize. It was being filmed and played on TV. Mm. The entire country saw it. So that's Sunday. Tuesday, they're going to try to march again. This time it's not 600 people, it's 2,500 people. And lo and behold, Martin Luther King Jr. comes to lead this march, right? 2,500 people, not just black people. Now you've got white people, people from different religions. They're there now. And this day is called Turnaround Tuesday. Why? Because the judge didn't give them the right to march. So it's called Turnaround Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday, they watched a couple of miles and then they went back. But what happened, March 25th, they're going to march again. Now they got permission from the judge. It's not 600 black people. Yes. It's not 2,500 people. It's 25,000 people. Mm. And they go and they march in Montgomery. And what happens? In a few months, Lyndon Johnson signs a voting right bill of, of um, 1965. What am I saying? I'm saying what made this different was that it was seen publicly. Mm. People saw it. Mm. People were like, this is, this, is, this, is, this is not right. You cannot imagine what happened with George Floyd. Mm. The whole world saw it. Yes. This seems a little bit different, and Allah knows best. It seems different because not only has it been sustained all these weeks, people still demonstrating, but people around the world, in France, in Germany, in Australia, I'm sure in Canada, I'm sure. Am I correct? In yes, Canada? yes. In, okay. in Canada as well, people okay. are. Yes. So, so, so all over the world, this may be different, but Allah knows best. It all depends what you expect, what you're looking for. At minimum, there's going to be some changes and how police deal with people. That's happening right now on the federal level, and it's yes. happening locally um, in, in many um, local um, um, precincts. Mm -hmm. So this may be a little bit different, and again, Allah knows best. But see, this is the question, Dr. Sayed. Mm -hmm. Someone is asking, what will be the future of America? Answer, what do you want it to be? Mm. And number two, what are you willing to do to bring it about? Yes. Muslims have to be engaged. 
Muslims have to be engaged. And 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 see, I want to I want to go back to our Nia. See, you can't you can't be as a Muslim. You know, I'm joining the the bandwagon. It's okay now. See, it's acceptable. It's the end thing to do. No, 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 no. You have to do it because it's right to do. And you have to have that in your heart. I'm doing it for Allah. Your deeds shall be judged by your niyyah. See? And why are you out there marching? you got to be doing it for Allah. And everything's going to go back to Allah. And I'm going to mention this in a couple of minutes, inshallah. Okay. You know, uh, Imam, I really like your approach, which I've seen throughout the years, where you try to always put a positive spin uh, on everything. And what is the practical like plan of action that we can uh, move forward with instead of just getting engaged in just useless rhetoric. So I appreciate that. The one thing that I, I think you and I both appreciate, um, you being older than I am, but me having a few years of experience under my belt, is that power structures are extremely intelligent and strategic in being able to manipulate people and maintain the status quo. And that's why uh, I feel like when, when you look at, for example, you know, the people like, you know, uh, what I feel like someone like Muhammad Ali uh, and even like Malcolm X, he gets less play than Martin Luther, Luther King. Right. So you'll get, you know, so, someone like Malcolm X. It's like you have a you have a mindset that it's actually trying to f it's it's not just uh, focusing, although we need to practically change issues and laws and policies. But they're also looking at the philosophy behind that and the mindset. I think they're challenging that also more so. So, for example, you know, for us to have an uh, like a, an ummah wide concern, so we're concerned for the affairs of all the uh, of all the people in the ummah. That's a, maybe a different. I would say that person may have a different mindset than somebody who's just uh, focusing on a specific the rights of a specific uh, group of people. I think when you have maybe somebody from your own community, yes, you should, but it's different, right? When you have that ummah type of mindset, you, you understand what I'm saying? Which I, I think fundamentally, what you're saying, yeah. So you fundamentally challenging the power structures. I feel is more threatening. So even here, I don't know if you've heard of uh, um, this uh, gold medalist that we had here, sprinter Donovan Bailey. So he was giving his comments on systemic racism. So he's, uh, you know, from from Canada. He's uh, he's black. I think he's from Jamaican descent. And so he was saying that, you know, yes, they're putting us in like boardrooms, but it's almost like it's it's a tokenism. Like, oh, he's just here. All the decisions are made. But we still everybody has to just still tow the, the company line, so to speak. Right. So I feel that Muslims have a unique role to play because we do have an aqidah. We do have like core principles because I think what's what gets co-opted in today's rhetoric is this identity politics. You only have the right to speak about your people because you're from them and no one will ever know your experience. And so you just say what you want to say. And so it's like the power structures, watch all these people divide themselves and just pander, pander and divide. You know what I mean? Okay, we're going to give these people some stuff, but as long as like this fundamental power structure uh, is not challenged or changed, you, you understand what I'm saying? So that I is my concern. Exactly what you're saying. So, so how how are we gonna like show leadership and strategic thinking and a voice that says, hey, yes, we need to speak about injustice, but we gotta challenge some core issues, you know, folks. There's some core issues that need to be challenged. Uh, I am so happy you asked that question. Yeah, I was praying that you would ask that question. 
Before <laughs> Dwight's answer. <laughs> Let me tell you what John F. Kennedy said, one of the yeah. best presidents of the United States. He said, those who would make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. What you see is a kind of revolution happening. Now, let me tell you from an Islamic perspective, what's the difference? And I agree with you 100%. There's a brother in my community one day, he told me, he said, Imam Siraj, I take 29 different pills a day. Mm. 29 different pills, right? And uh, because he has 29 different ailments. Mm. And, and these pills that he takes, the medication that he takes, doesn't solve the problem. What mm. it does, it deals with the symptoms. And let me tell you what the difference is, and to, to your point. Mm. Um, Bernie Sanders was running for president of the United States of America, and he had a heart attack. And he was, um, he came back, he did okay. He said, um, I should have paid more attention to my symptoms. Mm. Now what happened that this brother has 29 different symptoms, but the pills that he takes never solve the problem. I give an example. What Islam does, it goes to the root of the problem. You see, a mm. symptom is a blessing from Allah. The symptom is to alert you that there's a problem. Right? So you have a headache. A headache isn't a problem. A headache is an indication that there's a problem. A stomach ache, chills, fever. So we have a headache and we take an aspirin. An aspirin looks like it's solving the problem, but it doesn't solve the problem. What it does, it goes through the area of the pain and it deadens the nerve. Mm. So you don't feel the pain. But in reality, the sickness is there. Let me give an example. A man came to the prophet, peace and blessing be upon him. He's complaining that his brother has an ailment. And the prophet said, Iskahi asanin. Give him honey. Why give him honey? Because honey is a shifa. It's a cure. This pandemic, this, this uh, COVID-19, inshallah, there'll be a cure for it. There will be. Mm. How do I know? Because the prophet sallallahu said, Allah never sends a disease except he sends a cure. So we'll look in the hadith that I quoted earlier by Muawiyah. He said, Tajiba has two meanings. Number one, it can mean experience, right? Um, uh, there's no real wisdom without experience. It also means experimentation. Mm. You experiment. Okay. How does that deal with us and Muslims and what we should be, what we should be doing? You know, uh, Dr. Said, we have a lot of problems. In the United States, we have a lot of problems. Racism is one of them. Mm. But we have a tremendous drug addiction problem. Mm. 70,000 Americans lost their lives in one year, drug overdose. Mm. 45,000 Americans take their lives every year, mm. right? 480,000 uh, Americans die of um, cigarettes, tobacco, every year. Mm. 40,000 Americans die of secondhand smoke. They're not smoking cigarettes, but somebody around them is smoking cigarettes. Um, cigarette smoking is a, it's a serious problem. The World Health Organization said that the nations of the world do nothing about it. By the end of the 21st century, one billion people would have died as a result of smoking cigarettes, one billion people.
So there's a lot of problems, right? Mm-hmm. What is a law solution? Now that I come to what I consider maybe the most important hadith, one of the most important things we should learn. In the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, was with one of his companions, Mu'adh ibn Jabr, and he, they were riding a donkey. And the Prophet said, Ya Mu'adh, tadri ala ibadi, ibadi Allah. Oh Mu'adh, do you know what, what Allah's right is over his slaves? And what a slave's right is over Allah. Kutu, I said, Allah wa Rasulullah, Allah and his messenger know best. And this is, he says, and by the way, Thomas Jefferson said that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we talk about the rights of human beings, but who talks about the right of Allah? Right? Mm, so then the prophet yes. said, he said, it is Allah's right to be worshipped and no one to be worshipped besides him. What does that mean? It means that what Allah say, go. You see, right now there's the debate, what's good and what's right? Can we do this? Should we not do this? Everybody's debating. For Muslims, it's easy. But what does Allah say? Mm. Call Allah wa Rasul. What did Allah and his messenger say? And let me give you a classic example, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conclude, right? During the time of the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, there was, a, there was an alcohol problem among the people. They drank mm-hmm. alcohol. So when Allah revealed the Quran, the first 13 years, Allah never even mentioned alcohol in time. Mm-hmm. 13 years. It wasn't until the fourth year of the migration that Allah finally mentioned intoxicants. Mm. And guess what? Allah didn't initiate the conversation. Yes, Alunaka, Anil Khamar or Mesir. Oh, Muhammad, they're asking you about intoxicants. I ain't saying nothing about it. I mention it. They're asking about it. Why are they asking about it? Because Allah, the Almighty, is working on it. Mm. Without their knowledge, there's something psychological happened so that Omar is asking the question about his prohibition, people feeling something, certain things. So after four years after the migration, Anas ibn Malik is serving alcohol to companions, some prominent companions. And he hears a noise outside. He goes out and the man said, did you hear? Intoxicants has been prohibited. Mm-hmm. And you know what the Muslims did? They poured out the alcohol, the wine in the streets of Medina, and they flowed down Medina like an ocean, a river. What's the lesson here? Aisha radiallahu anha said, if Allah had first revealed, do not drink alcohol. The people would have said, We will never give up. We will never give it up. So what Muslims do, they do like the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. No, no, no. We don't need now. See? And so what we do, we keep telling people they shouldn't do. Instead of going to the root of the problem. If Mm. you go to the root of the problem, you don't deal with symptoms. Automatically, 
When the Prophet said, Illallah ta'ala, la yanduru illa asamikum, wala illa suwarikum, walakin yanduru illa qulubikum wa amalikum. Allah don't look at your bodies nor your forms. He looked at your hearts and your deeds. There's no superiority of a white man over a black man or a black man over a white man. There's no superiority of an Arab over. See, because Allah said it now. Now you have a relationship with Allah and you solve all the problems. Why? Because all you got to do is say, what did Allah say? And what did his messenger say? And that is a true revolution. So in 23 years, that whole society was transformed. To your point, it is my, I've long thought that the problem with Muslims is that they have taken the most important thing of da'wah and made it like, you know, it's an afterthought. You know, we spend millions of dollars building masjids and schools. We should do that. I have no problem with that. But how much do we spend on da'wah to actually talking to the people? And so the people that the Prophet spoke to, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, these are some people who fought against Islam. So Hale ibn Amr, he write the contract. And the Prophet said, write Muhammad Rasulullah. He said, no, man, if we thought you were the Messenger of Allah, we wouldn't fight against you, right? Um, uh, Khalid ibn Walid. In, in, the, in, in the battle of Uhud, uh, uh, um, and so many companions, people are people who fought against Islam, but because the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, did it the right way and dealt with the issue rather than dealing with a whole lot of symptoms, one after the other, year after year, year after year. And you're right, people don't want to give up power. But there is a way that, you know, and, 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 and by the way, I want to say this, that it's peaceful. It's, it's, it's peaceful, right? For the first uh, 13 years, Muslims didn't even have the right to fight back. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until after the migration, Now fight back in the way of Allah, those who fight against you. So we have to be smart, we have to be strategic, and we have to deal with the issues. And I think if we dealt with the issues, I think we have a better result. You know, uh, Imam, I think you make some very powerful points. It's something that I've spoken about in the past as well. It is more beneficial to chase health rather than run away from disease. And I believe that, you know, chasing uh, or ascribing to those qualities and characteristics that we should inculcate is far more powerful than just saying, okay, we need to just focus on this one disease and it's okay what's the next symptom what's the next disease what's the next right. disease right right so uh, i i think that that is a very i think a valid and powerful point because i've also noticed this in the past few years I don't, i'm not sure if you've noticed this but because we've become more globalized um because of you know social media and online and things like that i've noticed for example a resurgence with the nation of islam okay i don't know if you've uh uh, you know, notice that as well. Like, for example, you'll see some very highly touted uh, programs bring now members like Nation of Islam members on to speak, whereas before they didn't have such a huge platform to speak on and, and then so forth. Right. So um, do you think that could be just a reaction now to say, hey, like the, the ideas of black nationalism, you know, coming out again because of a reaction uh, to you know the white supremacy, especially in 
uh, you know, some of the rhetoric that's come out of, you know, the current uh, U.S. administration. Uh, do you think that could be a reaction to that? I think part of it, um, I want to say this about the Nation of Islam. I, I think it's important for people to get some perspective. Because as you know, not only Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Imam Siraj Wahaj and others yes, were part yes. of the Nation of Islam. Yeah. And, and I want to say this about the nation, that obviously we have a different aqidah. Yeah. We do. Uh, I know, I was there. I, I preached it. I was a minister in the Nation of Islam. Mm. But one thing I tell you about the Nation of Islam that they have that maybe too many Muslims don't have. Um, when I was a student at New York University, no Muslim ever came to me and even gave me a pamphlet. pamphlet. No one ever invited me to a halakha or anything like that. But the brothers from the Nation of Islam, they did. They came to me in the cafeteria. So how you doing, my black brother? Mm. And what they did is they showed love. So that black people love the Nation of Islam. Take a brother like me. I saw the newspaper called Muhammad Speaks. Mm. I quit my job to sell Muhammad Speaks newspaper full time, a 25 cent newspaper. Why did I do it? Because Elijah Muhammad taught me to love my people and I had to go after them. So what I did, I went into the projects by myself alone with these papers and sold 1,000 newspapers a week. I had customers and I would go visit them. I became loved by them. They invited me to their marriages, to their graduations, to their funerals. And this was the nation of Islam. So they have a quality there and they didn't go after white people. They went after black people. If the Muslims had the same kind of zeal in going after the people, inviting the people would make a, a major difference. Let me, let me give an example. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in the West Coast and I went to a hotel called the Doubletree Hotel. I don't know if you have that in Canada, Doubletree Hotel. Yes. And they're famous for these cookies. They have the best mm -hmm. cookies in the world. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you ever been there? I've been to the hotel, and actually, that that recipe was released online during the I, I pandemic. Heard. You heard you heard about that? I heard, I heard about. That. <laughs> so you anyway, now don't have to go there. I don't. I don't. So anyway, so I go to the hotel, and every hotel room had a card, and the card said, "When you care, it shows. Mm. When you care, it shows." I would argue. When you don't care, it shows. So the nation of Islam have always been out there talking to their people. Maybe right now, uh, Minister Farrakhan will get more exposure. The brothers from the nation of Islam will get more exposure. But I will tell you this, that the people in the nation of Islam are getting closer and closer to Orthodox Islam. Let me give a couple really? examples. Yeah, of course, of course. Now they say uh, publicly, they used to teach that this person, Father Muhammad, was God in person. They don't teach that anymore. They teach the one God, Allah. Now, they, now they'll talk about Prophet Muhammad being the last messenger. They used to fast in the month of December. Now they all fast in the month of Ramadan. So slowly, I've been working with them, alhamdulillah, continue to work with them to bring them closer. Because you have to understand, 1975, when Elijah Muhammad died, his son 
what if the day Muhammad becomes the head of the nation of Islam in one year, he transforms us into Sunni Muslims. Mm -hmm. So I'm always saying, keep the door open. Keep yes. the door open for the nation of Islam and other people who may have different aqidah, but when we talk to them and have relationship with them, then it will make a difference. So right now, um, a lot of people will listen to Minister Farrakhan in the nation of Islam right now, a lot of people, because mm -hmm. this is not a new message for them. They've been preaching that. And the thing they've about- also, uh, yeah, They've also softened their stance, I, I believe, or that antagonism with Malcolm X. Uh, like I've seen some interviews where some of their speakers have reframed their history yeah. with Malcolm X saying that, oh, actually, no, we had a good relationship. And some of them have gone as far as saying that actually Malcolm X, just before he died, was thinking of coming back to the nation. That's what some of them uh, are actually promoting as changed. well. You, you, you're right. Yeah. They have changed. I know that. I know yeah. that for a fact. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah. So, so pray, you know, pray, pray for guidance. You know, yeah. um, we, we want everybody but, to grow. What? Um, because uh, firstly, I think. That whole idea of nationalism uh, was is endemic to the Muslim world, and that's been part of our downfall. And I think uh, colonialists really took advantage of that. So it's not surprising, like for if you see the state of our countries, and then you see the way Muslims behave, say with an African American brother here, like it's not surprising really to see, you know, sometimes how they they treat each other. Like even within a country, like uh, you'll have people like of different tribes, and they're almost like enemies. But what what was it? What realization that that you had and perhaps you can reflect upon uh, your uh, what you've observed, uh, what happened to Malcolm X of why he left the nation and what uh, would cause you to leave the nation? Because I think that mindset, reflecting on that mindset of what caused that transition would be very important to learn from right now, because uh, how do you get somebody to believe in that aqidah? Sometimes when you don't even see the practice of that aqidah, right? Like yeah. maybe it's not common like in your environment, but how do you get somebody to believe in that idea, especially when you don't see like the, the people who purport to follow that idea aren't even practicing it? Can I be honest with you? And Malcolm, I, I loved him. Malcolm yes. was a man that I quoted often when I was a young man. So Malcolm was our hero, right? Mm. But Malcolm didn't leave the nation of Islam because he found true Islam. Mm. And I'm just, I'm just trying to be, I have to be real with you, right? I have to, I have to yes. set the, the record straight. Um, yes. he, was, he was silenced in 1963. Um, President Kennedy was assassinated. And Malcolm made some negative statements about him. And so mm -hmm. Elijah Muhammad sat him down, silenced him. And, and Elijah Muhammad never let him back into the nation of Islam. So in March, 1964, Malcolm separates from the nation of Islam. Mm -hmm. He goes to Mecca, and now he's learning about Islam. Now he's really learning mm -hmm. about Islam, and there's a transformation. There's a difference. So in 1975, with the death of Elijah Muhammad, let me tell you something about Imam Wadi Muhammad. He was kicked out of the nation a number of times because he didn't accept his father's ideology. He told his father he's not a messenger. Father Muhammad is not God. We pray. The Prophet said, prays, you see me pray. In the nation of Islam, they didn't pray like that, right? So when Imam Muhammad became the leader of the nation of Islam, his idea from day one, I'm going to teach these people Islam. 
Mm-hmm. Malcolm was very close to Imam Wansadi Muhammad, mm-hmm. right? So he learned some of Islam after he left, after he left. So now he's growing, now he's, he's developing. And I do agree with you about, about the nation of Islam. They have softened greatly their stance on, on Malcolm X, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, I don't know if that's, uh, you asked something else, but I think... Yeah, no, I said, like, how does... Like, for example, your personal experience, when you don't see the practice around you, you see Muslims practicing nationalism when their aqidah tells them otherwise, what thought process is like, what drove you now to leave the nation, uh, you know, accept uh, Orthodox Islam and not only accept Orthodox, but you became like a leader, uh, you know, in your community, uh, you know, preaching. Uh, I always Islam. believe, Dr. Sayed, I always believe that when people know better, often they do better. Mm. i give an example. The prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, taught us of a prophet that was beaten by his people so much that he began to bleed and he wiped the blood from his face and said, Allahumma itseli qawmi fa'innahum la ya'lamun. Oh Allah, forgive my people for they don't know. You see, this is the point about giving da'wah. No one can believe except by Allah's submission. So it's not you. You don't convert people. You bring the truth in the very best way, the hikmah, the wisdom in the very best way you can, and then you hope and pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him hadaya. Uh, uh, um, Amr ibn al-As, another one who used to fight against Islam, was on his deathbed. He was mm-hmm. dying, and he turned his back to the people, and he was crying. And mm-hmm. his son, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, anhum, a very pious a Muslim, Asked mm. his father, why is he crying? And he said, mm. son, I had three stages in my life. My first stage, I hated Muhammad. Peace and blessing be upon him. If I could, I would have killed him. And I believe that had I died then, I know I would go into hell. And then mm. Allah guided me to Islam. To such mm. a degree that I love the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him. Love him so much. He said, I have such respect for him, I don't even look him in the face. So if you ask me to describe him, I couldn't describe him. Had I died at that moment, I would have been reasonably hopeful that Allah would send me to Jannah. He mm-hmm. said, and then there were things, and I know what he meant. There were some issues, people concerned uh, you know, about themselves. What am I saying is that all those people who were enemies to Islam, mm-hmm. many of them accepted Islam. Mm-hmm. It's our persistency. We give up. We, most of us don't even try. So the thing about, even in the nation of Islam, I gave da'wah, but according to the nation. Because mm. we believe that that's what we should do. We should teach our people about, about Islam. But when I became a Muslim and a follower of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, what am I going to do? I'm going to teach the message. And you never know. You, but you have to teach. You can't, you can't, you can't give up. You have, to, you have to believe it. You have to really believe that this is the guidance and you got to really care about people and you got to really go out there and give the message. Did, did somebody come to you and educate you or did you search that yourself? No, after, you got to remember this, right? In the nation of Islam, we used to call it fishing, where the brothers in the nation would go out and fish people and bring them to the temple. See? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So okay. every Sunday, okay, okay, okay. Every Sunday, I would bring people to the temple. So that yes. they can learn about 
about, about Islam is taught by Elijah Muhammad. So I brought a lot of people there. Yes. I brought a lot of people. Once I became Muslim, then I went out and started giving dawah. Alhamdulillah, I've given a lot of shahadas. I can't even count how many. But because of your own conviction, you really believe it, and you really believe it's good for them, <clears throat> then you go out there. So no one uh, uh, orthodox Islam, I got that from Imam Muhammad. Yes. I got it from him, and he led us. And then I would go to uh, conferences like Islamic Society of North America. I would go to their conferences and ICNA conferences and, and, and mass conferences, Muslim American mm-hmm. Society. And, and, and I am a pro- prolific reader. I got, I got thousands of books reading yes. about Islam, so I self-educated myself. And then Allah blessed me in 19, um, 1978, I was blessed to go to Umm Qura'a University in, in, um, in Mecca, where Excellent. I did imam, imam training. Yes. So, and I still study today. As soon as you let me go, I'm going to do some more studying today. As soon as you let me go. Yes. Let's uh, actually, uh, I want to actually get back to uh, the, the, a little bit about... Um, that, that history there. But I think one thing that we should reflect upon is that Islam has the ability to cause not only change in the individual for certain habits, but it's a more of a transformal change, I think, for both individual and society, because that's some very powerful things you said that how do you get to go from hating somebody to loving them more than your own life? Like, you can't legislate that, you know, Imam, you can't like, uh, codify that into law and change the hearts of of people like that. You know, that's that's a paradigm shift. That's like a transformational sh- shift caused in a person's like you know their mindset, their hearts. And the Islamic approach seems to be very different. You had people at one point who were trying to kill the Prophet and Muslims, and they became the greatest uh, defenders and promoters of Islam. Let me sing a song for you first. Would you like for me to sing a song for you? I would love to hear. I'm sure you would. Not going to happen. But the song song went something like this. To make to to your point. And it's a famous song. I can't make you love me if you don't. Mm. Can't do it. But this shows you the greatness of of Islam and how transformative it is Mm. that, you know, you know, the, the, the Allah, Allah make us love each other. So the Prophet put it this way. Mm-hmm. You never go to paradise until you believe and you never believe until you love one another. Right? Mm-hmm. He says the answer, right? He says none love them but a believer mm-hmm. and none hate them but a hypocrite. Those who love them, Allah loves. Those who hate them, Allah hates. So this whole thing about love, the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, said, you're not a true believer until I am more loved by you than your parents or your children and all the rest of mankind. So this thing, again, I go back to my, my, my central theme, is that it's getting to know Allah, getting to love Allah. And then let me give an example. This is a classic example. Maybe 15 years ago, I was in a Muslim program somewhere in the United States, and I'd given a program. And when the program was over, three young sisters came to me. Looked like about college age, high school, college. And they weren't wearing hijab, but mm. wearing scarves. And they said, Imam Siraj, 
we want you to show us in the Quran why a Muslim woman should cover. And we don't want no hadith. We just want Quran. And I asked yeah. them, I said, sisters, do you find in Quran, I said, sisters, do you, do you pray? They said, no, Imam, we don't pray. I said, do you find in Quran you should pray? They said, yeah, many verses. I said, if you find many verses in the Quran that you should pray and you're not praying, what makes you think if I show you one verse in Quran that you should cover and you start covering? Mm. There's no answer for that. Because what happens, you see, the parents go after the wrong thing. Mm. They tell that daughter, before you leave this house, you better cover. Their problem isn't covering. Co covering, that's the symptom. Again, mm. their problem is their relationship with Allah. If you put a true relationship with Allah, whatever Allah say do, you're going to do. Yes. So if Allah say cover, you're going to cover. Because the relationship with Allah, if you don't have no relationship with Allah, let me tell you something. In the nation of Islam, we prayed, right? But we didn't pray the way Muslims pray. In 1975, I started praying. So since 1975, Alhamdulillah, I have fasted now 45 years in a row. I fasted every day. I have prayed. I did the calculation the other day. I prayed 82,275 prayers. That's just mandatory prayer. I mean, I, where did I get that from? Because we got the connection to Allah. And when you get the connection to Allah, you will do everything that Allah commands to do, mm. even when it's necessary to fight. Yes. Even when it's necessary to die. Mm. Because you're doing it for Allah. Mm. That's the key. And this is why, let me tell you something, the Prophet... He said Mu'ad to Yemen. He said, Let the first thing you invite them to is the oneness of Allah. If, 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 if they get it, if they understand it, then inform them Allah has made incumbent upon them to pray five times a day. And if they pray, five times a day, then tell them incumbent upon them to do the cat. So what the Muslims do, in my opinion, what a lot of other people do, is that they major in the minor and they minor in the major. Mm. The thing that you got to deal with is Tawheed, Wallahi. When you build a building, you don't build the, the roof first, you build the foundation. Mm. And when you uh, plant the, the seed, the seed don't go up, the seed go down and deal with the iman, the faith. And, and then when you do that, it's, the structure is strong. That's how the prophet did it. If you don't do it that way, you're not going to be successful. Yes. You know, you know, imam, like I, th these are the types of messaging and voices we need to elevate. You know, because, for example, when I look at the protests, you'll see people protesting uh, like uh, – Oh, the, the all cops are pigs or uh, like, you know, like kill all police, you know, things like that. You know, I've I've had patients from law enforcement and I'll tell you, they the vast majority of them actually suffer from like anxiety, uh, mental illnesses. Like it's a very, very stressful job. Right. It is. So I can understand that perhaps it's not necessarily like even the bad apples who do wrong things. They may not be innately evil. They're just like 
people who are sick, like mentally sick, like they've been stressed out, like they've done PTSD. Maybe the training also uh, hasn't set them up how to deal with this type of situation. So I, I believe like from an Islamic perspective, you have the will or I would say the uh, ability to go above like your personal hurt and emotion to say, okay, this is actually a solution for everyone. This is what's going to keep everyone like the, you know how in Islam, there's so much rulings about keeping the jama'ah together. Don't scandalize, don't spy on people. You know, it's better to forgive. Once a person has the hudud, they're in the jama'ah. You don't like cancel people. You keep everyone together, right? Very good. I think that philosophy, I think that philosophy in Islam to keep the jama'ah together. You know what I mean? Not to um, like, like all of you together ask for forgiveness. No, you sinners. Go ask for forgiveness. Get away from us. You know what I mean? Keep the people together. That idea is a paradigm shift, I think, for people. Because you go from the personal to the principle. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Listen, you, I should be interviewing you, man, because you you got it. <laughs> no, no. Hey, man, you're, like, I, I, I can't tell you. Uh, we're going to talk about before we end. I'm going to tell you how much you mean to me. But I want to just talk about, because, again, I love history. And you went to Umar Qura at a time when we were seeing like pan-Islamic resurgence, you know? What was that like when you saw, because, you know, you talked to many of the scholars from that era. It, it seemed like there was a lot of hope for the Ummah at that time. What did you see when you went there in the late 70s? To be honest with you, I, I was so focused hmm. on learning. Hmm. Let me tell you, uh, my, my regiment, when I went there, when I went to yeah. classes, um, they gave me a key to the masjid. I would go to the masjid, um, uh, real early, like like three o'clock in the morning, right? And so they gave me a key. Uh, I would stay there um, and ask to uh, sit down with some of the brothers, read the Quran. And then there was a, a track uh, outside of the masjid. And I used to run track every day, preparing when I go back to America. I'm going to really, because I'm learning now. You got to remember, I'm coming from the nation of Islam. Now I'm really learning about Islam. And I studied, and I studied, and I studied. I was my teacher's favorite pet. I was the first one in class. I didn't go to, I never went to breakfast. I would go uh, straight from the track. I would go to my dorm, take a shower, go to class. The brothers went to, for, for, for breakfast, and I would be there waiting, and I, and I drank it. So all I was concerned with is learning this dean. I drank it, and I drank it, and I drank it. In my mind, I'm going back. America, and the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to teach the people in my community. Mm. And so that was in my heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed me. My idea of a vacation, give me some books in a corner, mm. in a mm. corner, and I'm good. Learning. And then after learning, sharing. The best of you, those who learn the Quran and then teach it. So we have to be about teaching. So right now, I have to be honest with you. There's some problems in the Muslim world. I'm, I'm going to read something to you. Um, I have to. I have. I want to. I want to get it right. I want to quote it right. So give me. Give me one second. No problem. I, and, if, and if you can comment as well, it seems like you when you came from there, like. Uh, and I don't want to like characterize. I really don't like labeling people, but it seemed like the Dawa in recent years of people who are like graduates from there ha has become a little bit 
narrowly focused. It's, uh, you know, you don't know what I'm trying to say, right? I got you. Uh, but but got you're, you. you know, you're coming there <laughs> from, and, 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 and many of those shiuch were present, by the way, the ones that are quoted often. You know, by you know some of uh, and we and many of those shiuch, uh, may Allah have mercy on them, are, are no longer with us. But uh, you know, you're you're coming from that era where you had like this resurgence of Islam of scholarship. There's a lot of dawah coming out of there, but it seems like there was a more of like an ummah focus uh, rather than just like okay, this is our narrow view, or we have this idea, and if you don't fit in this box, then you're the other. You know what I mean? So I, like I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. First of all, I'm going to recommend a book for you. Mm. Um, it's called A History of the World. A History of the World, <clears throat> written by um, perhaps the greatest historian of our modern time, Arnold Toynbee, a British historian. Um, it is a great book. You think you might want to read it? Yes. Okay. I'm going to tell you something that's going to discourage you from reading it. Okay. Okay? It's 12 volumes. You okay with that, right? I'm okay with that. I have Okay. I, have, I need Tariq uh, Tabari, so... Okay, good, good, good. Okay, yeah. let me give you some more. 7,000 pages. Mm. Okay so far? Yes, it's good. <laughs> you're, not, you're not discouraged? No, no, it's okay. Your, your face is saying something different. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Three, I can't do it overnight, but yes. <laughs> three million, three million words. Mm. All right. So let me say, let me tell you what he said. Um, it's going to blow your mind. Um, Arnold Toynbee. I'm going to read it because I want to get it right. The solution to all international conflicts lies only in embracing Islam in mass, because Islam is the only religion that can transcend nationalism. I see with great dismay that nationalism is gaining grounds even among the bearers of the Quran. I hope for the day when all humanity will break this idol and unite as the children of God. Let me tell you something, and, and you're right, you, you see it right, something is happening with the Muslim world. And I, and I wouldn't be, I would be less than honest if I tell you I don't see it. I see it. Um, it you know, Islam is perfect. Muslims are, are not perfect, right? We're imperfect. Um, um, the Prophet, I, I, I intend to give a, a, a long talk, maybe even write something about what I'm about to say. The Prophet, bless him be upon him, said, you will follow the ways of the people that came before you. Shibran be shibran, wadira'in be dira'in. Step by step, inch by inch, so that if they crawled in the hole of a lizard, you will crawl right behind them. Quna ya Rasulullah al wa nasarra. Oh, Messenger, are you talking about the Christians and the Jews? Yes, well. What am I saying? If you study carefully the Sunnah, you will find that the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, predicted this. The Jews divided themselves into 73 sects, 72 sects. You will divide yourself into 73 sects. So what we see now 
is Muslims doing exactly what the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, said. And think about this, you know, Dr. Sayyid, I think sometimes we forget. Christians and Jews, really, in the beginning, they were Muslims like us. They were Muslims. The Prophet said, Al-Anbiya ikhwatun li'alatin umahatum shatta wa dinuhum wahid. The Prophets, all of them were brothers. Their mothers were different, but their religion is one. And you go through Quran and Sunnah, you will see the children of Israel, they said to Yaqub, Nahnu Muslimun, we're Muslim. So what happened? We always get off. We, 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 we know we, we're together and we get off. Let me tell you about a theory that I have. I study that first generation. The best of my ummah, my generation. And then the generation that follows it. And then the generation that follows it. He's telling us something. That first generation, it's nothing like it. Think about this. I'm the first generation of Muslims in my family. My children is the second generation. Their children, the third generation. That second generation is not going to have the same enthusiasm as the first generation. I got it. When did my children become Muslim? See? See? They're born in the faith. Mm. They're, 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 they're Muslim because their parents are Muslim. But when did they say, I want to be Muslim? Now, they're going to have children. What will their children be like? So we find something happening, then that's why we have to reform the ummah. We have to work hard on the Muslims, really, because we got, we got a lot of issues. I'm being real with you. Yes, but let me yes. tell you something. Let me tell you something that I observed about that first ummah, that first generation. Now, you, some people are not going to like, old timers are not going to like what I'm going to say. I'm letting you know right now, mm. they may get you for having Imam Sarad, mm. for saying what he said. They may get you. Um, they've already tried to get me, Shay. <laughs> All right, okay, okay. So, 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 listen, listen. That first generation, Khairul Umati, the best generation. All of them, every one of them, were converts. If you read Hadith literature, it said, "And Aisha, Radhiyallahu anha, Umul Mu'minin." Umi Abdullah. Aisha, the mother of the faithful. Why is she called the mother? Because Allah says the wives of the Prophet are our mothers. So she's our mother. Umm al Mu'minin, the mother of the believers. But Umi Abdullah, the mother of Abdullah, how come the hadith say the mother of Abdullah? Aisha never had any children. Mother of Abdullah, who's Abdullah? Abdullah is her nephew. Her daughter, her sister Asma, had the first baby in the Ummah. Mm. He's the first one. Everyone else are converts. So two things you notice. They were young. Many of them were very young. Mm. And they were converts. When I go to a masjid, I look for two things. Mm. Where the youth? I was in... I was in Detroit, right? And um, 
I gave a program for the oldest masjid in Detroit. The oldest masjid have two meanings. Number one, it means the first masjid. And indeed, that masjid was the first masjid in Detroit. But oldest masjid could also mean it has the oldest followers. And indeed, the average age of, of that masjid, that masjid is called the um, geriatric masjid. <laughs> the average age, are you ready for this? You're going to think I'm making it up. The average age, 80 years old. <laughs> okay? The average age, right? Was a, it was a masjid or a senior's home? Like, <laughs> Okay, okay. But I'm saying to you yeah. that the masjid will become that. Yes. If we don't be aware of two things, of the da'wah. Yeah. That's an indictment on our lack of da'wah. Mm. When you have nothing but old timers, no, no, no fresh blood, no new blood, old timers and old people, where are the youth? And when you look at, you look at, you do some research and, I, 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 you know, I won't do it for you, but if you look, do research, the seven most prolific narrators of hadith, beginning with Abu Huraira, Umar, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar, and Anas ibn Malik, and Aisha radiallahu and all of them, right? All of them young. Yes. All of them young. Yeah. So we, it, right? So what am I saying? I'm saying, okay, we have to take a look. Let me tell you something about the youth in our ummah. And can I, permission to be honest with you? Yes. Permission? 100%. Per, yes. Some 100%. Muslims, some Muslims um, around the world still have a little bias, may I say, a tinge of racism, maybe a hint of jahiliyyah, ignorance, like Abu Dhar of the Prophet said, I see in you some of the traces of jahiliyyah. Maybe some of our Muslims have that. Mm -hmm. I know cases. Listen, I'm an imam, right? How yes. many how many young Muslims came to me and said, imam, uh, a young sister said, I want to marry you know, a, a, a Muslim, African-American Muslim, but my parents said, no way. Mm. Right. So what happened? I'm not I'm not downing them. That's not my point. But I'm making another point. My point is that this new generation of Muslims, you they ain't got no problem. You know why? They grew up with other people. They got to know other people. So now when they look at them, they look at them. Mashallah, they're, they're Muslims. They're, they're Muslims. Let me give you something historically. Now, remember in the Quran, Musa والسلام, he told his people, go into the land, and they said, uh, yes. You and Harun, you two fight, we stay here. Yeah. So what happened? Allah made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. Hint, hint, hint. Mm. 40 years for an old generation. To die out. Maybe the hope is in the next generation. Allahu Akbar. Mm. But meanwhile, I'm doing my work. I I go to non-Muslims. I go to Muslims. Mm. I go to immigrant communities. I go to African American indigenous communities. I go and I try. I see. I try to be honest and I try to give my uh, my my evaluation. But mm. but you're right. There's some issues that we have. You're world. highlighting you're highlighting something that is so important, Imam, and we need because, uh, frankly speaking, you're one of the few figures that 
uh, older generation, younger generation, people from different color uh, cultures, people from different manhaj respect you. Alhamdulillah. So mm-hmm. I, th- I hope people will actually listen to what you're saying because the youth have an incredible amount of energy. Yeah. And what's happened is because we have not tapped into that energy as a community, it has been co-opted by other people. Like, yep. I, again, if you look at the activism that's happening right now, you'll see many Muslims being these like keyboard warriors and social media activists <coughs> and, and their whole paradigm. They, they, they leave behind maybe their Islamic principles because on the surface, many of this activism looks very appealing, but they've left their identity. So their their, their energy and their identity has been co-opted because we neglected them. Yep. I've observed myself, Imam, of like since I've grown up, and I've lived all across uh, Western Canada. I'm and throughout Canada. I, I travel extensively, speaking at different masajid. I've seen. Uh, I, I've yet to see uh, a system where you take youth and they now become leaders within the community. It's the same people running the show. They, and it's not like they haven't had. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's a masjid. I don't care if it's like the the Ikhwan system. It doesn't matter who it is. They seem to like lose like the point. They seem to lose the purpose. They'll have like a youth group. And I've seen that youth group when I was like 20 years ago. I saw, uh, seen these youth groups. None of those people from that youth group stayed in the, that, that masjid to take over as leaders. It's the same people asking for donations. It's the same people that are like, on the boards of these masajid, it's like, you know, subhanAllah, all this, it's like a generations you've neglected. Who are going to take over these masajid? Who have you trained to be leaders in your community to engage in the political process, in activism, what have you? Like, there is like such a squandering of our most fundamental resource. As you mentioned, the five narrators of the hadith, youth, Young, even number of uh, Jabra bin Abdullah, they're all young. Yeah. They're yeah. all young. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? And if you look at the statement of Rasul Sallallahu he said, I was given victory through the youth. Like Bob. So, you know, subhanAllah, the, like, how, how, like, it just seems like, you know, for us, we've taken the approach that respect our elders, uh, you know, myself, like, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there with them. But, uh, We've said respect our elders, don't leave the masjid. But oftentimes it's like you have to operate outside the masjid if you want to be able to utilize your energy or your talents. Take you know something I mean? take something from the old man. You remember um, Abraham Lincoln? Uh, I know of him, but I don't remember him. I'm not that old. <laughs> well, I'm a contemporary of his. <laughs> but I, I would think about this, right? Mm. The Emancipation Proclamation was signed January 1st, 1863, Mm. right? 157 years ago. Black people still fighting to be free. What's my point? Everything you say, I agree 100%. And I I recognize this. I go and I travel to different uh, states, different countries, and so many youth say the same thing. Imam, you know, we we you know they 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 have neglected us you know we we can't run the masjids there's some exceptions there's some good exceptions i i can give you a few um even my own masjid alhamdulillah we start we we hired a youth director and every masjid has to have a youth director and then we have to start training the youth exactly what you said 
But my my point by me mentioning the Emancipation Proclamation that we have to be patient. And you're right, Muslims are not like everybody else. That's who so are. We're not we're not the same. And we have because we have a mandate from Allah. And what we're going to do, we're never going to, you know, listen, we get angry, but the, the, the strong person is the person who can control themselves when they're angry. So a lot of the youth, they're leaving the masjid. I know. I know that. So um, we have to be prepared. We, we, we're being prepared now for the, next, for the next generation to hand it over to them. And so we can't wait until, you know, we're dead already, but we have to start preparing them like right now. So I'm saying be patient, but talk to them, get mm -hmm. the uncles to talk to them. And, yeah. you know, maybe myself can, you know, can intercede, um, but don't, don't give up. Don't give sure. up. And, and, and your analysis is right. I agree with you because if we don't use them, others will. Yeah. The, all this energy being used, you know, Imam, I'll give you an example. There was a program that the MSA was doing at the masjid. And so the imam was having his own program with the older generation in the masjid. And so he was speaking. And so then like we're they're waiting patiently. He goes over the time and he knows that the MSA is going to do their program next. What he does is he literally takes the mic and he does something to disable it. Like he does some kind of, you know how like in those movies, the, the guy comes up behind and he like cracks the guy's neck. He literally did that to the mic, <laughs> disabled the mic and wow, and walked away. He disabled it and just walked away. And oh. it was like shocking. It's like, subhanAllah, like, you know, they would give more respect to these like MSA members probably at a church than you just gave them right now. You know what I mean? Like they would probably have everything out and cookies and milk or something out for them. So it's 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 really unfortunate. But um, you know, Subhanallah, I could I could continue to talk to you. Uh, there's so many things I want to engage with you, but I just want you maybe to not take up too much of your time, get you back on the program. But on that note, I actually just want to share a very quick personal experience because uh, don't uh, so that you appreciate uh, you know, the fruits of the efforts that you put because you've definitely sacrificed time from your family. Uh, and unless people have experienced long periods away from, from your family, you know the stress of travel and how it just wears you down. And then you've had uh, health issues as well that uh, many of us are well aware of. And uh, and then of course, New York, like you know what you've had to deal with um, from the civil rights to after 9-11, all of these different things. Uh, Imam, you don't understand that sometimes the seeds of what you can do, what how it can grow and the effects that it can have. And we should all learn from that because I remember as a youth, I remember I was a kid, like, and I saw you speak like almost 30 years ago and the first time. And I remember I was with a bunch of uh, kids outside this hall that was rented. There was some, some type of program that invited you as a speaker. And a lot of the kids, there was a dinner and then a program. And so after the dinner, many of the kids, they went out and they were doing something that's basically haram. These kids were doing something. So something inside me said, you know what, as a kid, I said, you know what, this is something that's not right. I just was drawn in to go inside, back inside. And I sat down by myself at a table watching you. And I remember that to this day, the lecture that you gave, what you spoke, has an impact has had an impact on me for the rest of my life. I was in a community that 
it had some Muslims, but it doesn't wasn't like an Islamic culture or so many programs and courses. There's no YouTube videos. Like there's none of that stuff. We didn't. There was no internet. Okay, <laughs> at that time. But Subhanallah, that had such a lasting effect because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave you the ability to connect with people. You know, so there's some people. They're mashallah. They have knowledge. They're ilm. They're like a book. You know what right. I mean? But that's also the effect. It's like it's like a book. It's on a shelf. It's not necessarily grabbing people. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given you this ability, this talent to be able to take ilm and connect it with the hearts and minds of people. So we ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to preserve you and your family. I know your family also has struggled. Uh, you know, like we're aware of these news reports and things like that. So I want Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to protect and shower mercy on your family. Keep you united, uh, make, give you uh, continued strength and, uh, you know, die upon this great work that you're doing and uh, that we can be united with uh, our Rasul Sallallahu and Jannah. All of us working in Dawah can be united uh, with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi and Jannah. So I, I just want you to know that you have made significant impacts in people's lives and uh we are so grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has created people like you to do such powerful and great work in our community. And you have not just restricted yourself to this community, to your community. Like I'm talking about like affecting, you know, people in in Canada, right? Like cities that most Americans don't even know exist, right? <laughs> you you yeah. understand what I'm saying? And you've helped build Masajid. Like I, people should be aware of this. Like Iman, you have raised probably millions and millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So may Allah SWT accept this in your mizan and and, and uh, any shortcoming, just forgive you of anything and accept every single thing that you've done, every single moment you've spent on the path of Allah SWT. Dr. Faith, thank you so much. I, I so much appreciate that. And um, Alhamdulillah, I love this work. I love Allah as a messenger. And you know what? I love the people. Really, I really do. I really, Allah put love in my heart for the people. And I pray Allah subhanahu wa continue to use me um, to to be his servant. I mean, I mean, and I remember I was so proud to show my daughter. I remember taking her to a program. I said, you know, when I was your age, that's when I saw the Imam for the first time. And I said, I was able to give her a real life example, Imam. I said, this is what it means to be on the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That even... 30 years later, the, the Imam is still going on the path, you know, It's like, this is a real life example. This is what we've been talking about when we talk about, you know, the stories and the values. So to have somebody who's authentic like that is a treasure for our community, uh, Imam. And and uh, we hope to be, uh, hopefully we can have you on the program again. Um, and uh, whatever we can do uh, for you, you let us know. Thank if there's you. anything, if there's if if there is a link, say if, uh, you know if uh, your your masjid is taking donations, please let us give us the link. We can post it. Uh, any projects you're involved with, let us know. We can help promote it. We need to be united on this, and the community needs to learn not to just take, but a true relationship is to give. Thank okay? you. So, so so we need to give. Uh, there are many people, I, I would say millions of people, Muslims across the world who have benefited. We need to give to the Imam and we start off with dua, but also, uh, you know, uh, beyond that. So Jazamah Khair, Imam for that. And, Thank you. And we would love to have you back on the program. Thank you. Anytime. Let me know. May Allah bless you. I am here in Atlanta right now. I drove two days ago. 
900 miles. And wow. actually, I'm invited to go to a program right now, literally, in person. Oh, so, subhanAllah. subhanAllah. So I'm running now. So may Allah bless you. Hope to see you soon, man. Really, really enjoyed myself. Inshallah. Jazamah khair. This was a beautiful, powerful conversation. Uh, inshallah to our audience. We will continue our next podcast on Thursday. Remember to live by the haq, die by the haq. And just when you think life is stuck, tune into life haq. Jazamah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you, sir. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.